The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So the topic today is the exploration of cultivating the qualities of love, compassion, joy, and equanimity. It seems a particularly useful set of qualities to reflect on at this time of year. Um, You know, we head home to uh, visit family or have gatherings of friends and, you know, the the climate in our country right now is kind of divisive, so putting people together, maybe what we can think about right now as we come together in communities is being kind to each other. Um, the, the, the topic here does fit into the whole arc of the Buddhist teaching in a a bunch of different ways, but I'm going to focus today primarily on how it fits in with respect to um, wise effort. This um, is the arc of the teaching I've been offering over the past year or so, um, offering the exploration of the teachings on the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path. And before I left for two months... Uh, we were kind of in the middle of exploring the um, the teaching of wise effort. And in particular, uh, the last couple of times we'd been looking at the cultivation of wholesome qualities. Wise effort is this teaching. And basically, um, you know, we could think about the Buddhist teachings as a whole as being um, what he was what he was interested in supporting people in was to find ways to um, move in the direction of well being of, of of a deeper kind of happiness of not a happiness that 's dependent on particular conditions in the world but an inner kind of um, happiness balance of mind that uh, can car- can go with us no matter what the conditions in the world. And many, in many ways, the qualities that we're going to be speaking about today, love, compassion, joy, and equanimity, are the qualities of heart, the qualities of an open heart, of an unconstricted heart, of a heart that's not resistant to what's happening in the world, and yet a heart that can still meet the pain in the world, the suffering in the world, the joy in the world, and connect care with kindness without being um, restricted, constricted. So really, I think the suffering that the Buddha was pointing to that we can be free of is, a, is the suffering of a heart that is constricted, the suffering of a heart that is resistant to opening to what's here. And, you know, this does, you know, our, our, our minds sometimes kind of can't quite, it feels paradoxical, or we can't quite sometimes feel like it makes sense for a heart to be open when there's injustice in the world. And yet, what we may discover, and this is just a proposal that um, I feel like I'm finding my way towards the truth of this, um, the more unconstricted the heart is, the more capacity we have to meet and navigate and uh, put action into the world that supports all beings, that supports a movement away from the unjust actions that are happening. The way to uh, meet and engage with injustice in the world isn't to bring a heart of constriction, but a heart of compassion. I think sometimes we think that what, what we mean, what it means to not have um, constriction around what's happening in the world is that it, it's kind of like the, the, the idea of, well, like, it's all good. Well, it's not all good. But the, and that's not what this unconstricted heart feels. The unconstricted heart actually feels much more deeply the suffering of the injustice 
and has the inspiration to step into action, not out of aversion and hatred, but out of compassion and care and connection. And so that's, that's something that we all perhaps can find our way towards when we, we are seeing something in just the, the kind of the anger that comes up with that, the feeling like this is not okay. Maybe we can allow that to be a uh, kind of a mindfulness bell of there's, you know, there is that recognition, there's a discernment there. But maybe there can be a recognition that that movement of the heart that says, no, this is not okay, is not only based in hatred, is not only have hatred or, or aversion that connected with it, but is also has a thread to love, to the wish for well-being, the wish for care, the wish for all beings to be safe and happy and healthy. And so the, maybe our action could come more from that place rather than from the place of aversion. And so the, the Buddha was pointing to the, the constricted heart as being that heart that is um, possible to release, possible to, to uh, let go of the constrictions. And actually what seems to happen as the constrictions of greed, aversion, and delusion release, there's avail- what's available is the love, is the compassion, is the joy when beings are uh, experiencing delight and joy. The heart can kind of resonate with that. And the balance of mind that can hold it all. And so he was, he was uh, supporting us to find the way to let go of you know, tools. The whole of the Eightfold Path can be looked at as tools that will help us to let go of those things that are in the way of these beautiful qualities to let go of the, the qualities that take us in the direction of constriction and suffering and to encourage and cultivate those qualities that take us towards connection, love, care, balance of mind, un- the unconstricted heart. And so the, the teaching on wise effort is essentially kind of like naming just that, he said that the, we should um, let go of those qualities that are in the way of that, uh, of that unconstricted heart and um, um, work towards their non-arising. Uh, that's a, it's a little uh, confusing perhaps, but the, the, the first wise effort is the effort towards the non-arising of unwholesome states that have not arisen. It's basically looking at the conditions that lead to that constrictedness and seeing if there can be a, you know, a recognition like those conditions, we, we should avoid those conditions, like avoiding the arising of unwholesome states that have not r- arisen and letting go of those unwholesome states that have arisen. Uh, I spoke quite a bit about that in previous weeks, and so today I want to, you know, kind of land more on the side of the cultivating, the wholesome, cultivating and maintaining wholesome states that have arisen. And, um, uh, you know, I've talked, I talked about the the four wise efforts more generally and something about cultivating and maintaining a few weeks ago, or a couple months ago, (laughs) more like... um, um, and so in the last few times, uh, what, uh, what I kind of chose to do is to focus on spe- some specific wholesome qualities that the Buddha points to that are valuable so that we can begin to um, recognize them. And sometimes just speaking to what these wholesome qualities are, how they feel, that can help us to recognize them. And in that recognition, the rec- with mindfulness recognizing these qualities, that actually supports their cultivation. It's one of the, the key ways to cultivate wholesome states that have arisen is to notice them with mindfulness. You know, mindfulness is this great um, uh, kind of amazing quality in our minds. This, this quality of, of mind that has a non-judgmental um, attitude about whatever is arising can meet both 
anger, hatred, aversion, confusion, desire, um, greed, and love, compassion, wisdom, joy, delight. And what that quality of non-judgmental awareness of whatever's arising does is that when it's meeting unwholesome qualities... Essentially, we feel the constricted nature of the unwholesome qualities. We feel the suffering and the pain of the unwholesome qualities. And because we have a system, our human system is designed in a way to um, want to move in the direction of well-being. When the mindfulness meets those qualities and feels the constricted nature of them directly in the moment, that they are constricted in the moment, that they are not well-being in the moment, because they have basically confused us, deleted, deluded us to think that, well, this, this state of mind, this anger, this hatred, this aversion, this wanting, whatever that quality, that quality that feels constricted in this moment, it somehow convinced us that that constriction in this moment is not important. And what's important is in the future getting something so that I won't have to feel that constriction. So essentially those, those qualities of mind are kind of um, giving away or um, being or they're willing to abandon the uh, the happiness here and now or the well-being here and now for the possibility of well-being sometime in the future and so there's there's the um, the constrictedness that we feel with mindfulness and because our system actually doesn't want to feel that that non-well-being when we're mindful of those unskillful qualities, those qualities that constrict us, when we're mindful of the constriction, the the system begins to understand it's not helpful and begins to let it go. And on the other side of it, when we feel and touch into with mindfulness the wholesome qualities, patience, love, uh, compassion, equanimity, when we touch into that, we feel the unconstricted nature of it. There is a visceral understanding when we are mindful of those qualities that this is the direction to well-being. That this, that maybe it's it's not complete well-being in this moment because maybe with with equanimity we're watching anger. You know, so there's there's some constriction that's being observed, and yet the equanimity and the kindness, the love that are holding it, we can feel that part and recognize. Wow, this is different than being caught in that constriction. There's a mind that can hold that constriction. And the the feeling of the holding of it is much more spacious. And our system understands that is the direction. And so it cultivates those qualities. And so the the same quality of mind, this non-judgmental mindful awareness, has the the, uh, capacity, has the the kind of the, the, the feature that when we attend to the unskillful states, those that lead to constriction, it tends to, to have them let go. It tends to weaken them. When we um, are aware of them with um, uh, the wholesome qualities with mindful, it ten- mindfulness, it tends to strengthen them. And so mindfulness itself, if we, if we just look at mindfulness itself in terms of what it does, in our minds, it's doing the four right efforts. Because as we attune to and attend to an unskillful state that's arisen, it supports the mind learning how to let go of it. And in that learning how to let go of it, it also supports the, um, the, um, the mind understanding that way is not helpful, and so it supports the non-arising of it in the future. And on the side of the wholesome, it supports when we, when we meet a wholesome quality, it supports the maintaining of it, the cultivation of it, because our system understands that is the direction. It wants to move that way. And so it also supports the, um, the arising of it in the future, the arising of these wholesome states in the future. And so mindfulness of these states is one of the key ways to cultivate cultivate these wholesome qualities. And so, um, metta, love, this first quality. I'll give you both the Pali word and the English word, metta, uh, sometimes translated as loving kindness. 
Um, to me, it's the, the kind of the care. There's, it's a feeling of care and concern and connection with our fellow human beings. It's, it, it's actually a pretty simple quality. I mean, it's the kind of quality that we might feel, just the initial kind of delight we might feel upon seeing a dear friend after not having seen them in a long time. Just that, oh, glad to see you. Hope you're happy. That feeling is the basis for this quality of loving kindness, of metta. That quality of metta, when cultivated, um, becomes very strong. I mean, initially we may only feel it or only connect with it in particular instances or with particular people. But it can have a quality of, um, you know, a kind of a, a, a pervading quality that there's just a sense in the heart that this way of, of, of being in the world, the way of caring and connecting, is, is a, a way of well-being. It, the feeling of the heart that is a connecting and caring, kind of independent of who it meets, who, who we're connecting with, that quality... Um, can become very strong, and the, the Buddha talks about it as an immeasurable quality that the the mind can basically rest in the the pervading quality of love of care of concern, independent of the uh, conditions in the world and that um, um, I lost the thought. That, that quality of care and concern, independent of conditions, points to a particular um, uh, piece of this quality of metta, of loving kindness. And that is that it is unconditional. It doesn't need something in return. It's not a kind of an I'll love you if you love me quality. It's that just that connected, that wish for well-being, independent of how they are, who they are, what they're doing. And so this quality of care, of connection, I pointed to, you know, just that feeling of, of a kind of delight or connection with uh, a dear friend. It's useful to recognize those moments. They happen for us. These moments where we do feel care and concern and connection. It may happen, it may happen, um, you know, hearing a particular, sometimes at this time of year there are sto- inspirational stories on, on um, uh, the radio or the news. And, you know, hearing those sometimes, that can create the quality of the heart opening. You know, feel that, recognize it. What is that? What does that feel like? And so touching into it in the moments in the moments when it happens. Aware of it, being aware of it, being mindful of it. This feeling of metta, of of, uh, care, of concern, the, the description of it sounds like it's care and concern for others, and it definitely is that. But it also is care and concern for ourselves. Over and over again, the Buddha pointed to the importance of care and connection with the welfare a teaching the Buddha offers is a wise person is concerned for the welfare of self, of others, of self and others, and the world. This is that quality of, of metta, that sense of care for oneself and others. It's not just about caring for others. We have to understand. You know, can't, it's, not, it's not, you know, sometimes we might, and I think this is um, in those people who are in fields of service, sometimes we can care for others at the expense of ourselves, and that's not so helpful. And we, need to, we need to be concerned also for the welfare of this being equally. That quality of care and connection, that's the basic quality of the unconstricted heart. Maybe the, 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 um, the unconstricted heart which can 
meet with balance of mind. That's the quality of equanimity, which kind of allows us to meet what's happening without um, that constriction. But the emotional quality of that unconstricted heart. So there's the, the kind of the wisdom quality of the unconstricted heart, we could say, is that quality of equanimity, of balance of mind, of non-reactivity, not, not leaning with aversion or greed or confusion, but this is what's here. This is what's happening. A, a kind of a very honest assessment. This is what is already here. This is what has come to be. It's like, it's, it's come to be. There's, there's not so much a, a, a point in trying to resist what has come to be, but rather can it be met with a heart that's not constricted? And so the, 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 these two sides of the unconstricted heart is one side is that side of, of the mind that is balanced and able to meet what's here without resistance. The emotional side, so that we could call the wisdom side. The wisdom side of, of, of meeting what's here without resistance, without aversion, greed, confusion. So that's kind of the wisdom side of meeting what's here. The emotional tone of that experience when we touch into it, when there is balance of mind, the emotional tone of that experience is metta, is love, is care, is connection. It's not indifference. So that quality of mind that meets something that's happening without reactivity, is not. it's not that, yeah, whatever. It's a connection with what's happening. It's, 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 a, it's a receiving in the heart, in that unconstricted heart, and that heart resonates with what's happening. So the basic emotional tone of that heart that is unconstricted has that quality of care and connection, of loving kindness. And then whatever is in the field of that, um, of that experience, it might be um, someone having someone struggling with something, or you experiencing some kind of struggle or suffering. When that unconstricted heart comes into contact with struggle, with suffering, with confusion, with wobbling, with resistance, with fear, with aversion, with injustice when that unconstricted heart comes into contact with that, the emotional tone shifts a little bit. The quality of that, of that heart, it's, it's resonating, it's, it's kind of vibrating with that suffering, and we feel the suffering internally. That quality of feeling the suffering in an unconstricted heart is a quality of compassion. The quality of compassion that is not only feeling that, but also wants to act to alleviate that suffering. So that's the, the, the next quality, uh, karuna, that I wanted to explore a little bit. The, the quality of compassion, the heart that is meeting suffering and has the inspiration to act to alleviate it, not from constrictedness, anger, fear, confusion, but from care and connection. So this quality, we might be able to feel, um, you know, a little bit the, if we hear a friend describing a, a distressing situation, if, our, if we, we care about that friend, we may kind of feel their suffering a little bit. And, and just that feeling of, oh, I want to help. I want to do something. I want to I I support you. How can I support you? That quality is in the terrain of compassion. But off, often we kind of constrict down because our, our, um, you know, we resist the feeling of suffering. And we don't want our friend to be feeling suffering. And so there can be some aversion. And sometimes that aversion can, can play out of like, you know, well, you need to do this. Or, you know, you just need to figure this out. And, and it's, a, it's got some harshness to it. Because partly because it's hard to tolerate that feeling of really feeling the suffering with that connected feeling. 
And so compassion can be a challenge for us. Really deeply feeling the suffering of others with an open heart. This is, this is a lot of work in the world. If, we, if, more, if more people could explore in this direction feeling of the connectedness that we have around suffering rather than the separation. Because sometimes we, we, t- we, we may tend to want to separate ourselves and it's like, maybe it feels kind of like, well, thank goodness it's not me. Um, a, a kind of a quality of what we might call pity where it's kind of a, oh, poor you, I'd like to help you, but it's, thank goodness it's not me. That's not quite the quality of compassion because the quality of compassion really deeply understands that it might be me. It might be me next time. It might be, because the the nature of our human lives is so ephemeral and so unreliable that the next time a situation happens, it it might be that I'm the one that's ill or experiencing loss. And so the, the heart of compassion recognizes that the suffering out there also might be here. And a real kind of connection with that truth of impermanence, the kind of the nature of experience is that uh, things are going to change. Those things that we love that are dear to us will become separated from us, all meetings and impartings. And that even as we can appreciate and take delight in something that is happening, we, we, we know that it, it can end. And that Heart can hold both sides of it. The heart of unconstrictedness can hold both sides of that. There's a, uh, a quote that I find very poignant and so true um, that as we really open to the impermanent nature of all experience, it's a, it's a tenderizer for us. It tenderizes our hearts in this direction of compassion. This is from Sogyal Rinpoche, Tibetan teacher. When we finally know we are dying and all other sentient beings are dying with us, we start to have a burning, almost heartbreaking sense of the fragility and the preciousness of each moment and each being And from this can grow a deep, clear, limitless compassion for all beings. So that connection with that truth of the unreliable, impermanent nature can open us. We tend to have the kind of the resistance to it. It's like, no, it shouldn't be that way. I don't like that. But that constricts the heart. And so this... uh, opening to compassion we might feel at times when we really touch into that impermanent nature of experience whether it's in our own lives a partner or a friend or ourselves having an illness or a death in the family or we having a loss of some kind or whether it's in the world or reading a story of of uh, someone who has lost something Maybe we can feel that kind of heartbreaking sense and explore not resisting it, but opening to it. What might it mean to see if there could be some balance of mind not resistant to that quivering heart that resonates in empathy with the suffering of the world. It's beautiful that we have this capacity as human beings to resonate with empathy. And then um, the other side of the open heart meeting the experience in the world is that there are times that it's like, I don't know, equal mixtures of delightful things happening and difficult things happening. Sometimes this is framed in the Tibetan tradition, the 10,000 joys and the 10,000 sorrows of life. When that unconstricted heart meets the joys of life. 
sees the delight of uh, a family who's welcoming a new child. Recognizes the connection that's happening in in um, somebody who's who's experiencing some kind of um, joy or delight in their lives. May, may their happiness continue. This is the quality of mudita, of sympathetic or empathetic joy, and very like the compassion, where our heart kind of resonates in sympathy for the suffering of others. When that heart meets joy and delight, our heart, that non-constricted heart, can also resonate with that joy. It's a really delightful feeling, actually, to, um, to feel the joy of others. There's a, a famous quote by the Dalai Lama. Probably, he said it probably, oh, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Um, He said, it's good to take delight in the delight of others because then you increase your chances for happiness six billion to one. So this is the time when there were six billion people on the planet. I think there's now, what, eight billion or something. So now we increase our chances of happiness eight billion to one when we explore this possibility of taking delight in the delight of others. This is also a challenging emotion for us. Partly, I think, for myself, I found it it a little challenging because as I explored this quality, as I explored the quality of metta and recognized that when I saw somebody else having something good and happening in their life, why not me? You know, a little constriction there or kind of like... I must not deserve it or, you know, oh, they're getting something. That means there's less for me. You know, a little bit of that kind of idea that happiness and that delight and joy are a zero-sum game, that if somebody else gets some, it means there's less for me. And so this, this is, I think these are not uncommon kinds of feelings around uh, <clears throat> delight and joy in the world. And so um, I invite you to explore this quality of, of metta, um, of, of, of mudita, of sympathetic or empathetic joy in places where maybe at first it doesn't feel like the delight and joy of others are not taking away from you. And I'd say one of the best, absolutely best places for that if you have children in your life, if you have toddlers in your life, you know, it's like, when they do something that maybe maybe you can remember if you you know for me you know the the uh, rem- have a memory of of watching my my nephew just delightedly you know having learned to run you know and just like running and running in laps through the house squealing in delight like that memory even can evoke this sense of of delight you know the accomplishment the joy that 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 um, toddlers take in the accomplishment and their tenacity with, you know, exploring it, you know, learning how to walk and learning how to, to, do, to do things. So babies and um, toddlers are great mudita teachers because, you know, we don't resent that they're learning how to walk. You know, that, that's, that's not a kind of happiness that's taking away from us. So we can begin to taste that quality of Delight in the delight of others. And then beginning to, again, notice where the rub is. This is a lot of our exploration with these qualities. Is um, um, When we see somebody experiencing delight, you know, it's like, don't tell yourself, I should feel delight. You know, notice honestly what's there. And maybe there's a little bit of the, oh, I'm happy for you. And then, but there's this little kind of feeling of, ugh. Heaviness. That's worth noticing. You know, that's that constricted part that with mindfulness can begin to be understood. It's like, what's happening in there? For me, it was, it was definitely kind of that exploration that helped me to see the, 
the kind of belief that was operating that, oh, that happiness means that it's not there for me. It's like, wow, is that even true? I mean, certain, in certain areas like resources, you know, there is that kind of certain amount of resources. And if somebody has some resources, somebody else might not have some resources. And so that may be where we learned this idea of, of delight and joy and happiness have, being a zero-sum game. But that's kind of based on the idea that having things is where happiness comes. You know, that, that kind of possession of, of material wealth or material goods or, or just having what we want, that that's where happiness is. And this is one form of happiness, but it is not the deepest form of happiness. It's, it, that is an unreliable form of happiness because of the impermanent nature of things, of the world. That that, that quality of um, happiness that comes in dependence on getting something, that is going to, to end. And so um, the, the, the kind of happiness that's more reliable is a kind of happiness that is um, connected to uh, the opening to things as they are, not uh, without that constriction. So this kind of happiness, you know, this is actually some of the first places I could really feel mudita, this kind of uh, love and care and the delight in the delight of others, happened through the practice when I began to see other people understanding. Or uh, the first time it really happened for me with a peer was on a retreat where I was watching a friend um, do her walking meditation. And it was just clear from the, uh, the way that she was walking that she was really present. And, and that, just witnessing that, it's like that was possible for her and she was experiencing, apparently, I mean, I, I, I d- didn't know, but it, it looked as though she was very mindful. And you often can kind of tell that from the way people are engaging and so there was this, this sense of, I was so happy for her in that moment that she was in that place of clarity of mindfulness. And it wasn't that that clarity of, of her mindfulness was somehow meaning I couldn't be clearly mindful. You know, so there, there was that kind of not feeling like it was taking away something from me. And yet, you know, with that same friend, there was sometimes jealousy. And, you know, it's like, oh, this is not my mind state, you know. Oh, I'm not doing very well. And so there was the comparing that would come up too. And so these, these pieces, it's actually said that it's, um, that this quality of mudita, of empathetic joy, is one of the most difficult qualities for us to open to because of these uh, constrictions of heart. And so it's worth looking at the, the places, the, the jealousies, the constrictions, the, the um, feeling of it's taking something from me, just to explore and open to that and see what happens as you look at the, the beliefs under there, like the, 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 the idea <laughs> that in that comparing um, in that comparing mind, I would see something come up in my own mind, uh, some kind of aversion or, or you know, something, and, and see my mind start to do something. And, and because I had seen my friend being so mindful, my mind would say, well, my friend would never do that. I was like, really? <laughs> I'm pretty sure we've had conversations where I've heard stuff like that going on. So, you know, so the, there's the, this kind of way we can, it can backlash on us. But that's just our minds. And those qualities of mind can be uh, understood as the unwholesome and uh, the kind of rooted in misunderstanding, essentially. So these four qualities, love, metta, loving-kindness, karuna, compassion, that heart of metta meeting suffering, mudita, 
sympathetic joy, the uh, quality of um, meeting when the, that open heart meets um, success or delight or, or joy in the world. And then the balance of mind, equanimity, which is kind of the quality that supports allowing us to have that unconstricted heart in the face of the 10,000 joys and the 10,000 sorrows. So I've been talking primarily about um, exploring these qualities through being aware of them, you know, looking at being, becoming aware when they happen and getting a taste for the, the just the little inklings, the first little movements in the direction of those qualities. To, um, noticing them with mindfulness will support their growth. There are also um, tools and practices where we can actively kind of incline the mind in the direction of these qualities. So the the... One of the main ways or one of the ways to cultivate these qualities is to notice when they arise. So that's, you know, maintaining wholesome states that have arisen. When they haven't arisen, then there's the pointing towards um, in the teachings that we can kind of incline our minds in the direction of these qualities. And some of this is um, through the use of kind of like reflections in the mind. The metta practice, the, the formal practice of cultivating loving kindness uses phrases in the mind. May I be happy. May I be healthy. May I be safe. May I live with ease. And so, and then likewise for others, may you be happy, may you be healthy, may you be safe, may you live with ease, may all beings be happy, healthy, safe, and at ease. And so kind of gradually expanding out towards all beings, starting with ourselves and then beginning to connect with other beings with these wishes. So these wishes are kind of uh, intentions in the mind of, of, um, you know, kind of planting the wish, planting the seed in the mind that this is the direction for the heart. And you may not be feeling those feelings in the moment, but it's, it's just kind of expressing, may I have that? You know, it's not a demand. It's not, I am happy. It's not like the affirmations that some, some uh, traditions teach. It's, it's, it's more of that kind of inclining towards the wish May I be happy. It's not a demand. It's, it's kind of that... Um, the heart that is unconstricted does wish, may there be happiness. And so in meeting somebody else, that's the wish. May you have happiness. That's, that's that kind of connection with the dear friend when you see them. Yeah, may, can, I hope you're happy. You know, that's, that's, the, that's that wish of, of care. And so we're um, planting the seeds of care in the mind by using these phrases. And this may seem a little um, uh, I don't know. I, for myself, initially it felt a little bit like an overlay. Like, well, that's not what I'm feeling. So if I'm just thinking that thought, you know, that feels a little false somehow. But the, um, the practice is about recognizing, yeah, so I'm not feeling that. But it's almost more like the wish is, I'd like to feel that. And so that's uh, kind of bringing the heart into that place. It's like, I'd like to feel that. So may that be so. So the, the practice of bringing those thoughts into mind, and, you know, I, I often do this more informally at this point. Um, I spent quite a bit of time cultivating this practice formally on retreat, um, but a lot of times right now I, I incline my mind in this direction when I'm walking around and 
um, you know, in the grocery store, driving on the freeway, you know, uh, just kind of inclining towards may everyone who's driving with me be happy. You know, it's like, this would be a good thing. (laughs) You know, if everyone were happy here. Oh, somebody's clearly like weaving. It's like, oh, you know, oh, may you be free from the struggle or the suffering that's kind of making this behavior happen. You know, some kind of constriction there. And so the, the um, you know, the connection with our fellow beings, with this thought in mind, may this be so. But acknowledging at the same time what, where the heart actually is. So this, this practice of um, inclining towards the wholesome qualities by using thoughts. You know, actually it speaks to some extent to uh, a teaching the Buddha offered, like whatever we think and ponder, whatever we think and ponder becomes the inclination of our minds. We have habitual ways of thinking and pondering things. And... Um, Often, you know, based on our conditioning, we're habitually thinking and pondering in terms of what do I want? What do I not want? What do I want to get rid of? And those thoughts are kind of running based on conditioning. And so this is kind of a practice of like, okay, let's see if we can kind of almost replace those thoughts. Let's supplant those thoughts of greed and aversion with different thoughts, and then the more that we explore those thoughts, that the thoughts have a very powerful effect on the mind. A thought of, um, when, when a thought around aversion arises, it affects our system. It creates a constriction. When a thought around love arises, it can create some openness. And so this is using that understanding of how thoughts affect our mind. Let's just do an experiment right now, just for a moment. Like, let yourself close your eyes and just connect with your experience. And I'm going to just drop some words in, and let's just see. You know, just notice. Let's like use mindfulness here. As I say these words, notice how your system responds when you hear the words. Constriction. Struggle. Confusion. Ease. Calm. Delight. So... How many of you noticed a shift with each word? Is some different thing happening with each word? Anybody willing to share some of what you noticed? Yeah, could you use the, use the mic? I noticed uh, qu- quite a shift between the words that generated more aversion and the ones that didn't. It, it was a distinct, a distinct difference. Difference. Uh, so I think when I was listening to the aversion words, I was paying attention to the physical reaction, mm-hmm. um, and then when you shifted, I, and I noticed the change, I thought, "Oh." 
that was aversion going on over there. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. So there's more of a sense of being able to hold something, it sounds mm. like, mm. In, the, in, the, in the other words. So, I mean, not everybody has a response to this, to this exercise, but often there's a, a, a difference, a little difference between, you know, seeing that just the word, how, the impact that the words have. You know, I think I dropped six words into your meditation, and most of you experienced a shift of some kind with the arising of those words. Words have that effect on us. When words arise in our minds, when we hear words from the outside, when we listen to words, when we listen to people speak, when we listen to the television or the radio or listen to a podcast, those words have an effect on us. And it's useful to be aware of the effect that the words have. And so as we begin to understand the effect that certain words, certain thoughts have on us, the more the mind more inclines towards the words of kindness. And so this is kind of using that. It's helping the mind to recognize, you know, let me for, you know, 10 minutes put thoughts of kindness into the mind. But being aware that the heart maybe doesn't feel that way. That's okay. You know, so it's, it's, it's an interesting kind of dance of recognizing, yeah, the heart's feeling a little constricted. May I be happy? Hmm. Okay. May I be healthy? <laughs> Just feeling that, you know, feel, feeling that experience. What I found for myself is that um, by, by being willing to, like, just be with those phrases and understand the meaning and, and hold those feelings, hold the feelings of that, maybe some doubt, that, uh, that keeping going with it, within a, a, a relatively short period of time, actually, you know, five, ten minutes, there was a shift in the mind. And there was more availability of that quality of the heart that was willing to let go of the constrictions. And so this is a this is a, a practice tool, and maybe in a in it's at some point next year I'll actually explore with with you in this group the the teaching the formal teaching of of the loving kindness practice. It can be really for some people it's like hand in glove. You know, it feels really like delightful to uh, bring those thoughts into mind. For myself, it was more of a struggle, and so. Uh, I can speak to this practice having come through that struggle and found the value of it and, and learned what was in the way of, of um, connecting to that practice of cultivating the loving heart. So it's time to stop. Thank you for your attention. And I look forward to talking to you in a couple of weeks. More on this theme in a couple of weeks, actually, because I thought, I thought for um, the class on New Year's Day, I would speak to, there's a quality of mind, which actually this, this teaching on planting these thoughts in the mind of may you be happy, may you be healthy, speaks to um, a, the word resolve. Um, and so uh, I thought I would speak on Uh, New Year's Eve for the resolve for peace. And that that's actually something the Buddha encouraged in that direction. So maybe we can pick up the New Year's resolution for that. Thank you all.